Section twelve of the Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume Nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andre Levy, AndreLevy.net, Lisbon, Portugal. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume Nine, by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton Night 911 When it was the 911th night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the wazir Shimas asked the king's son, saying, Which is the most excellent of the treasures of earth? He answered, The practice of kindness. So the minister pursued, Tell me of three several and different things, knowledge and judgment and wit, and of that which uniteth them. Knowledge cometh of learning, judgment of experience, and wit of reflection, and they are all established and united in reason. Whoso combineth these three qualities attaineth perfection, and he who addeth thereto the piety and fear of the Lord is in the right course. Take the case of a man of learning and wisdom, endowed with right judgment, luminous intelligence, and a keen wit, and excelling, and tell me, can desire and lust change these his qualities? Yes, for these two passions, when they enter into a man, alter his wisdom and understanding and judgment and wit, and he is like the ossifrage which, for precaution against the hunters, abode in the upper air of the excess of his subtlety. But, as he was thus, he saw a fowler set up his nets, and when the toils were firmly staked down, bait them with a bit of meat, which, when he beheld, desire and lust thereof overcame him, and he forgot that which he had seen of springes, and of the sorry plight of all birds that fell into them. So he swooped down from the welkin, and pouncing upon the piece of meat, was meshed in the same snare, and could not win free. When the fowler came up and saw the ossifrage taken in his toils, he marvelled with exceeding marvel, and said, I set up my nets, thinking to take therein pigeons, and the like of small fowl. How came this ossifrage to fall into it? It is said, that when desire and lust incite a man of understanding to aught, he considereth the end thereof, and refraineth from that which they make fair, and represseth with his reason, his lust and concupiscence. For when these passions urge him to aught, it behoveth him to make his reason like unto a horseman, skilled in horsemanship, who mounting a skittish horse, curbeth him with a sharp bit so that he go aright with him, and bear him whither he will. As for the ignorant man, who hath neither knowledge nor judgment, while all things are obscure to him, and desire and lust lord it over him, verily he doeth according to his desire and his lust, and is of the number of those that perish. Nor is there among men one in worse case than he. When is knowledge profitable? And when availeth reason to ward off the ill effects of desire and lust? 
when their possessor useth them in quest of the goods of the next world, for reason and knowledge are altogether profitable. But it befitteth not their owner to expend them in the quest of the goods of this world, save in such measure as may be needful for gaining his livelihood and defending himself from its mischief, but to lay them out with a view to futurity. What is most worthy that a man should apply himself thereto, and occupy his heart withal? Good works and pious. If a man do this, it diverteth him from gaining his living. How then shall he do for his daily bread, wherewith he may not dispense? A man's day is four and twenty hours, and it behoveth him to employ one-third thereof in seeking his living, another in prayer and repose, and the other in the pursuits of knowledge. For a reasonable man without knowledge is a barren land, which hath no place for tillage, tree-planting, or grass-growing. Except it be prepareth for tilleth and plantation, no fruit will profit therein. But if it be tilled and planted, it bringeth forth goodly fruits. So with the man lacking education, there is no profit in him till knowledge be planted in him. Then doth he bear fruit. What sayest thou of knowledge without understanding? It is as the knowledge of a brute beast, which hath learnt the hours of its foddering and waking, but hath no reason. Thou hast been brief in thine answer here, Annette, but I accept thy reply. Tell me, how shall I guard myself against the Sultan? By giving him no way to thee. And how can I but give him way to me, seeing that he is set in dominion over me, and that the reins of my affair be in his hand? His dominion over thee lieth in the duties thou owest him. Wherefore, an thou give him his due, he hath no farther dominion over thee. What are a wazir's duties to his king? Good counsel and zealous service, both in public and private right judgment, the keeping of his secrets, and that he conceal from his lord naught of that whereof he hath a right to be informed, lack of neglect of aught of his need with the gratifying of which he chargeth him, the seeking his approval in every guise, and the avoidance of his anger. How should the wazir do with the king? And thou be wazir to the king, and wouldst fain become safe from him, let thy hearing and thy speaking to him surpass his expectation of thee, and be thy seeking of thy want from him after the measure of thy rank in his esteem. And beware, lest thou advance thyself to a dignity whereof he deemeth thee unworthy, for this would be like presuming against him. So, if thou take advantage of his mildness, and raise thee to a rank beyond that which he deemeth thy due, thou wilt be like the hunter, whose wont it was to trap wild beasts for their pelts, and cast away the flesh. Now a lion used to come to that place and eat of the carrion, and in course of time he made friendship with the hunter, who would throw meat to him and wipe his hands on his back, whilst the lion wagged his tail. But when the hunter saw his tameness and gentleness and submissiveness to him, he said to himself, 
Verily this lion humbleth himself to me, and I am master over him. And I see not why I should not mount him and strip off his hide, as with the other wild beasts. So he took courage and sprang on the lion's back, presuming on his mildness and deeming himself sure of him. Which, when the lion saw, he raged with exceeding rage, and raising his forepaw, smote the hunter, that he drove his claws into his vitals, after which he cast him underfoot, and tare him in pieces, and devoured him. By this we may know that it behoveth the wazir to bear himself towards the king, according to that which he seeth of his condition, and not presume upon the superiority of his own judgment, lest the king become jealous of him. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. End of Night 911 Night 912 When it was the nine hundred and twelfth night, she continued, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the youth, the son of King Jaliad, said to Shimas the wazir, It behoveth the minister to bear himself towards the monarch, according to that which he seeth of his condition, and not to presume upon the superiority of his own judgment, lest the king wax jealous of him. Quoth Shimas, how shall the wazir grace himself in the king's sight? By the performance of the trust committed to him, and of loyal counsel, and sound judgment, and the execution of his commands. As for what thou sayest of the wazir's duty to avoid the king's anger, and perform his wishes, and apply himself diligently to the doing of that wherewith he chargeth him, such duty is always incumbent upon him. But how, and the king's whole pleasure be tyranny, and the practice of oppression and exorbitant extortion? And what shall the wazir do, if he be afflicted by intercourse with this unjust lord? And he strive to turn him from his lust and his desire, he cannot do this. And if he follow him in his lusts, and flatter him with false counsel, he assumeth the weight of responsibility herein, and becometh an enemy to the people. What sayest thou of this? What thou speakest, O wazir, of his responsibility and sinfulness, ariseth only in the case of his abetting the king in his wrongdoing. But it behoveth the wazir, when the king taketh counsel with him of the like of this, to show forth to him the way of justice and equity, and warn him against tyranny and oppression, and expound to him the principles of righteously governing the lieges alluring him with the future reward that pertaineth to this, and restraining him with warning of the punishment he otherwise will incur. If the king incline to him, and hearken unto his words, his end is gained, and if not, there is nothing for it but that he depart from him after courteous fashion, because in parting for each of them is ease. What are the duties of the kings to his subjects? And what are the obligations of the lieges to their lord? They shall do whatso he ordereth them with pure intent, and obey him in that which pleaseth him, and pleaseth Allah and the Apostle of Allah. And the lieges can claim of the lord that he protect their possessions and guard their women, even as it is their duty to hearken unto him, and obey him, 
and expend their lives freely in his defence, and give him his lawful due, and praise him fairly for that which he bestoweth upon them of his justice and bounty. Have his subjects any claim upon the king, other than that which thou hast said? Yes, the rights of the subjects from their sovereign are more binding than the liege lord's claim upon his lieges, for that the breach of his duty towards them is more harmful than that of their duty towards him, because the ruin of the king and the loss of his kingdom and fortune befall not save by the breach of his devoir to his subjects. Wherefore it behoveth him who is invested with the kingship to be assiduous in furthering three things, to wit, the fostering of the faith, the fostering of his subjects, and the fostering of government. For by the ensuing of these three things his kingdom shall endure. How doth it behoove him to do for his subjects' weal? By giving them their due, and maintaining their laws and customs, and employing ulema and learned men to teach them, and justifying them one of other, and sparing their blood, and defending their goods, and lightening their loads, and strengthening their hosts. What is the minister's claim upon the monarch? None hath a more imperative claim on the king than hath the wazir, for three reasons. Firstly, because of that which shall befall him from his liege lord in case of error and judgment, and because of the great advantage to king and commons in case of sound judgment. Secondly, that folk may know the goodliness of the decree which the wazir holdeth in the king's esteem, and therefore look on him with eyes of veneration and respect and submission. And thirdly, that the wazir, seeing this from king and subjects, may ward off from them that which they hate, and fulfil to them that which they love. I have heard all thou hast said of the attributes of king and wazir and liege, and approve thereof. But now tell me, what is incumbent in keeping the tongue from lying, and folly, and slandering good names, and excess in speech? It behoveth a man to speak not but good and kindness, and to talk not of that which toucheth him not, to leave detraction, nor carry tale he hath heard from one man to his enemy, neither seek to harm his friend, nor his foe with his sultan, and reck not of any, neither of him from whom he hopeth for good, nor of him whom he feareth for mischief, save of Allah Almighty. For he, indeed, is the only one who harmeth and profiteth. Let him not impute default unto any, nor talk ignorantly, lest he incur the weight and the sin thereof before Allah, and earn hate among men. For know thou that speech is like an arrow, which, once shot, none can avail to recall. Let him also beware of disclosing his secret to one who shall discover it, lest he fall into mischief by reason of its disclosure, after confidence on its concealment. And let him be more careful to keep his secret from his friend than from his foe, for the keeping a secret with all folk is of the performance of faithful trust. Tell me how a man should bear himself with his family and friends. There is no rest for a son of Adam save in righteous conduct. He should render to his family that which they deserve, and to his brethren whatso is their due. What should one render to one's kinsfolk? To parents, submission and soft speech, 
and affability, and honour, and reverence. To brethren, good counsel, and readiness to expend money for them, and assistance in their undertakings, and joyance in their joy, and grieving for their grief, and closing of the eyes toward the errors that they may commit. For when they experience this from a man, they requite him with the best of counsel they can command, and expend their lives in his defence. Wherefore, and thou know thy brother to be trusty, lavish upon him thy love, and help him in all his affairs. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. End of night 912 Recording by Andre Levy AndreLevy.net, Lisbon, Portugal